Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelup. Chaos at the Capitol. A pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol building on Wednesday, resulting in at least five deaths. This after the crowd was incited by President Trump during a rally just hours before. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. I love Pennsylvania Avenue. And we're going to the Capitol. But it wasn't just D.C. Protesters breached the outer metal fence surrounding the mansion. WSP says at least 30 people on the mansion property. The governor is in a safe, undisclosed location. And this could just be the beginning. Eight-foot-tall fencing is the first line of defense against what could be large-scale protests in the coming days. 750 members of the National Guard have also been mobilized. We have complete coverage from Washington to Olympia, but we begin with Mark Allen Smith, professor of political science at the University of Washington. I might put this in, the, in a category of, of political violence. And, it, and if you think of it in that respect, it, it isn't so un- unusual. We had a situation in the, in the 19th century, for example, in the run-up to the Civil War, um, uh, you know, caning of one, one senator of another senator. Um, you know, we've had duels. We've had uh, assassination of, of Robert F. Kennedy. So if you if you think of, of political violence more generally, then I think we, we could put this sort of thing in, in that broad category. Would you say this is a coup? It's an attempted coup, for sure, in that Donald, Donald Trump has basically tried everything he could through both uh, legal means and now not, not so legal means. So he, he tried to work through the, the course to challenge the election results, you know lost every case that mattered, including cases presided over by judges he had appointed. Um, so he tried to work through the courts, um, famously over the over the weekend, uh, or at least that's when the call was, was released, um, that he worked on the Georgia Secretary of State to ask the Georgia Secretary of State to find 11,000 votes, which sounds like a, an, a, a direct order to use whatever shenanigans would be available in order to try to manufacture some some votes um so he's tried a variety of tactics he's he's uh claimed that his his own vice president had the legal authority to um block the certification of uh, electoral votes by certain states which would therefore allow them to be excluded and then you could build a trump majority with the remaining states um so he's basically tried everything this this is sort of the last the the last thing uh it it doesn't i mean it's not going to work a mob of protesters can overrun the capitol building but that that by itself does not constitute a coup are you fearful for american democracy is it teetering on the edge i am fearful I'm 50 years old now, and it's been a pretty stable country since I've, I've been alive, and it does not really feel stable anymore. Um, and I'm not just talking about you know changes in power and, and movements arising and, and big changes in public policy and so on. We, we've had that before. But I mean, you know, in the sense of going, say, from the, the Roman Republic to the, to the Roman Empire, that kind of a, a, a regime uh, shift, uh, it, it's not going to happen this time. But, but let's suppose instead of, you know, say five or six states being super close, it was really only one decisive state where you could focus all the attention on that one state. And let's suppose instead of the evidence of voter fraud being flimsy, that there was actually pretty good evidence of voter fraud, but it was also still a little bit ambiguous. So you could kind of argue it e- either way. You know, if you had kind of a knife edge situation like that, um, I could definitely imagine our, our institutions breaking down, um, that there being no, you know, path forward to, uh, to who's going to be uh, the winner. And uh, I could I could imagine a, a coup uh, really occurring in a situation like that. Is that typically what happens when democracies reach their end? 
Yeah, when you look at democracies reaching their end, it's it's uh, generally been because the the existing institutions could not handle the the scale of uh, of the threat. Uh, perhaps most famously in the the Weimar Republic uh, um, breaking down and, and becoming the Nazi regime. And when, when all that started, it was kind of using the existing institutions and then pushing the boundaries and then stuff that it's not quite legal, but you could sort of make a case and you, you do that enough times and, and pretty soon you have crossed a line. Like I said, we're, we're definitely not there um, at this point, but I could at least imagine that happening. Whereas if you'd asked me the same question five years ago, I would have said, no way, no way could that ever happen in this country. That's Mark Allen Smith, professor of political science at the University of Washington. I'm Charlie Harger. CNN reports that as early as Monday, the House could consider articles of impeachment against President Trump. This would have to come at a blistering pace. His last day in office is January 20th, after all. Joining us on the Como News line is Como 4 News political analyst Ron Dotsauer. And Ron, walk us through this. This is really developing quickly. Impeachment hearings by Monday? Well, not only impeachment hearings by Monday, but they're talking about having an impeachment vote by the middle of next week in the House. So they want to accelerate this as quick as they can, in part because of what happened this week is still fresh on the voters' minds. And also they want to create they want to create a political record here that could be discussed, if you will, in somebody's re-election campaigns. And so the idea here is if you are a Republican and you voted to toss out the votes from certain states, but you also voted to allow the man who some say encouraged the storming of the Capitol, that helps against Republicans? Is that the mindset there? Well, I, I don't think there's anything any doubt about that. First off, on the legitimate side of this, there are certainly people in the U.S. House of Representatives who believe, in fact, that he did participate and encourage this storming of the uh, Congress. There's no doubt, in my opinion, that the president has some some vulnerability. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know whether or not this will rise to the whether or not he can be prosecuted, but potentially. But certainly the House of Representatives can make this statement and say this is not acceptable. And as a president of the United States, the last thing you should be doing is encouraging sedition. And so a second impeachment, which has never been done unprecedented, he would be the first president to ever have this happen, to even have articles of impeachment twice. So there's there's that, and then there's the politics of it as well. We have a lot of Republicans who listen right now as well, Ron. And I, I don't know about you, but I... I hearing them rolling their eyes right now saying it's a week and a half left of this man's presidency. Why don't you just let it end? It's over anyway. Why do this second impeachment? Why put us through all of this? Well, you know, and and that's a legitimate question. And I honestly, I, I've always felt like this wasn't going to get any traction, that the time was going to run out. But there seems to be a group of folks that, that is just not going to let it go away. I believe that is the attitude of the incoming president as well. I think Joe Biden would just soon let it go away and it's a distraction for his administration. I really didn't think they would be as aggressive with it as they seem to be doing here in the last 24 hours. I'm a little surprised. We're speaking with Como political analyst Ron Dotsauer. What does that indicate to you then? Well, a couple of things. One, did he go beyond just some of his other behaviors? Two, what's the other political motivation here to get this done? Three, and this is a big one, is it worth the time to do this in these next couple of weeks before he leaves office? 
I think it would be perceived as pretty silly to pursue this after he's out of office. But having said that, I don't know how they do that. Okay. I don't know how they do that. But listen, he's burned the house down on the way out. Okay. He really has for himself and for his legacy, for whatever good he has achieved. And anybody can make those arguments. There was another election next Tuesday after all of this. I think Donald Trump would have trouble getting half the votes he got in November because of what how he's behaved in the last two months post-election. I don't think Republicans, Democrats, independents alike do not like and, and, and perceive his behavior um, as somebody who he, he looks just like a very sore loser and he hasn't done anything to change that image. That's Como political analyst Ron Dotsauer talking with Como's Charlie Harger. Now, aside from impeachment, there are also calls for the cabinet to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove Trump from power. But with less than two weeks left in his term, how likely is it and how would it happen? For that, I'm joined by ABC's legal analyst, Royal Oaks. First off, this is really kind of an unprecedented move that it's even being discussed. That's right. These are uncharted waters. Uh, the amendment's been around for decades, but but it's never been invoked uh, in this kind of context. Instead, uh, when somebody is uh, undergoing surgery and is under anesthesia, that's, that's one thing to temporarily give up power. What the Constitution says is that if somebody is unfit for office and if the vice president and a majority of the president's cabinet vote to take power away from him, the VP becomes the president. The catch is the president then may send a letter to Congress saying, no, they got it wrong. I'm fine. He gets power back until the VP and the cabinet double down and send another letter to Congress saying, no, we really meant it. In which case the power goes back to the VP pending a vote by Congress. And if the Senate and the House both vote two thirds to get the president out of there to, to allow the, pre- the VP to keep the power permanently, then it does get transferred. So it's a cumbersome process. And as you can imagine, of all the people on the planet who would be reluctant to go against a sitting president, it would be his cabinet, his hand-picked people, and frankly, his vice president. And so there is actually a little clause in the Constitution that's a workaround there. The Con- Constitution says that Congress doesn't have to just listen to the VP and the cabinet. There may be a different body appointed by Congress to do that. So theoretically, Congress could appoint a blue ribbon commission or itself to vote to take the power away. But again, it would have to be a two thirds vote to actually put the president out of office and hand the reins of power for 13 days or fewer to Mike Pence. The other thing that we're seeing today as the, is that the president is mulling the idea of pardoning himself. There's been discussion of this over the last uh, year or so, but it's really kind of reached a fever pitch in the last day or so. What do we know about that here? Can he actually do that? The Constitution is silent on any restrictions on the power of pardon, and therefore it's been considered to be unreviewable and without exception. But interestingly, there is one exception in the sense that the Constitution says a presidential pardon may not be used to stop impeachment of a president. So Trump supporters would point to that and say, well, the founding fathers talked and thought about exceptions to the pardon power, and they created the impeachment exception. They could have said, you may not pardon yourself, but they didn't. Therefore, it's okay to do that. I think most legal scholars, though, would bet against the legality of the presidential self-pardon because it just sounds so wrong. A basic principle is you can't be a judge of your own case. And so I'm guessing the Supreme Court, which would almost certainly weigh in on this, would say, and they've never addressed the question, they probably would say, no, nice try, but you can't pardon yourself. 
So you're a legal analyst. There's a, a number of legal paths here. What would be the most likely? Well, I think the most likely event is that the 25th Fifth Amendment is not going to get off the ground. It's just too cumbersome. Impeachment is within the power of the majority of the House, and they can move very quickly. There are some parliamentary hurdles, but it probably could happen. And that way, uh, the Democrats and other opponents of Trump would have their symbolic victory. He was impeached not only once, but twice. We didn't have time to convict him. Maybe we'll try to have a trial. Maybe we'll even try afterwards. Some Republicans like the idea of him being disqualified from holding office in the future because he was convicted. But as a practical matter, once January 20 hits, very little is going to happen to Donald Trump, at least in connection with his presidency. As to whether there's any criminal prosecution, that's a different question. Bottom line, president stays in office until Joe Biden's inaugurated. If Vegas were open uh, and take Taking bets on that, I'd go there and put a lot of money on that. ABC's legal analyst, Royal Oaks. And here in Washington State, a group of Trump supporters stormed the governor's mansion, breaking down the security fence and walking right up to the front door. We get the latest on that from Como's Matt Markovich. I think it was partially inspired by what we saw in D.C., but the true story about all this is well, the was the lack of preparation on behalf of the Washington State Patrol. It's their job to protect the governor. They have a executive protection unit that actually travels with the governor, stays with the governor at the mansion, which is just about 200 yards from the Capitol steps where all the normal rallies take place. So you have that, you have the executive protection that's inside the mansion, and then you have the just the uniformed officers of the Washington State Patrol that protect the grounds. And those grounds have a are encircled by a steel fence. There's a little guard tower there that's manned 24-7, both at the front gate. There's a front gate uh, guard shack and a tower that's actually on the premises. But so for on that Wednesday, um, you know, a couple hours after... Uh, what happened in Washington, D.C., about a uh, hundred or so uh, protesters, primarily there uh, to support Trump, but also became an anti-Governor Inslee COVID restriction march rally. And that's and there's why there's a they, lot of overlap between those two. Yeah, right, right. And so they kind of made their way to the, the fence of the governor's mansion. That's common. I mean, having covered protests, and you have too, Jeff, mm-hmm. you know, down in Olympia, the MO tends to be they march on the they're on the steps of the Capitol where they're allowed to have a rally. There's nothing wrong there. They always march, not always, but sometimes march right to the fence of the governor's mansion so they can yell across the fence and yell at the mansion, uh, the governor in the mansion. So that's not unexpected. What happened that has this was not uh, what the Washington State Patrol says they were not expecting. That's a quote there from the uh, Sergeant uh, Darren Wright was. All of a sudden, they start shaking the fence at the guard shack, and by simply shaking it violently right where there is a pedestrian gate, the lock of that gate broke, and the door opened. And at the time, there were only two cadets at the front uh, uh, shack. Uh, of the governor's mansion. So not not even full sworn officers. These were cadets of the state patrol. That's right. Two cadets were there, uh, a woman and a man. I spoke with one of them uh, who kind of described what happened at the fence uh, off the record. And and what happened is the gate opened up and about 100 people marched right in, marched right up to the porch. Uh, and we didn't know at the time that the governor and his wife, Trudy, were inside. Uh, they, he acknowledged that the day after that he was inside, and but he felt safe that there was provi- private secu- there was security there. And there was pictures on social media of his private detail at the front door of the mansion. 
and you had several, you know, 100 people there, fairly angry, yelling. Um, there was weapons seen at the time of the rally. I can't say whether weapons actually made it onto the grounds of the governor's mansion. But you had a potential there that was could be very, very serious. And so what's... What what happened there is now the, a lot of questions are being raised, including by the governor. He called it uh, disappointing. That was his term about what happened on the governor's uh, front lawn. And he's asking questions of Washington State Patrol Chief John Batiste. Uh, what happened? Why, would, why were they not prepared? And uh, what are we going to do going forward on this kind of thing? Well, the other thing, too, is you mentioned that the, the protesters, we don't know, you know, if how many armed people got to the front door of the of the mansion. But I'm not sure if you saw it, but there was some video on social media that was posted where a number of these Inslee protesters, Trump supporters, however you want to describe them, drawing weapons and and pointing them at, at reporters saying we don't want you right. here we get get out of here i mean that that is inexcusable that is in itself a crime right right and that uh not that that doesn't i haven't seen that happen to me mm-hmm. but we have seen that you know we've seen that during chop mm-hmm. um we and this happened the incident you're talking about i know that particular incident happened not on the mansion not grounds. on the mansion yeah grounds. that was okay. at, uh, in the courtyard right in front of the uh, steps of the capitol where that incident took place but there were people armed visibly with guns it's an open carry state that's okay in the past rallies have been held there people with guns people with guns have marched to the fence and but have not gotten in in this situation it appeared just too easy to get into the governor's mansion and his grounds um I have no idea what details they he had in his house, how many uh, executive protection detail officers were there, but you had nearly 100 people on the ground. They could have easily overrun that house, even easily overrun that front door. I don't know what protection mechanisms are in place. Sergeant Darren Wright, who speaks on behalf of the Washington State Patrol, said they're now going to have more, quote, seen and unseen protection devices, uh, protection, I should say, uh, at the governor's mansion going forward, especially come Monday, which is the first day of the legislative session where, uh, uh, as you know, the lawmakers have to show up on that one day to vote to decide to whether to go into a virtual session. So they actually physically have to come to the Capitol. And the Capitol building, because of COVID, and it has been, the actual Capitol itself, has been closed to the public and it will remain closed to the public on Monday, uh, so for the last I was told. So, do we know if anyone was arrested in this rally? Nobody was arrested. Storming? Nobody was. Why there not? Were no arrests. And that's what a lot of people are asking. We pulled up video back in August 22nd. There was a whole line of Washington State Patrol officers defending the mansion in riot gear during a Black Lives Matter march. Um, that was known. They had been marching around Olympia and came up to the area, but. You know, there was advance warning. There was advance warning with this particular group. Well, it was all over social media, just as there was all right. over social media for the one in D.C. Yeah. And given the fur that was going on at that time in Washington, D.C., big questions are at being asked. This Washington State Patrol, aren't you aware what's going on in D.C.? This is a kind of a similar crowd here at the Capitol steps. They're marching toward the mansion. Uh, why, why weren't you prepared for that? And that's what the questions are being asked right now. And when we asked uh, the State Patrol, their response was, one, like I was talking about, it's customary that they don't do that. 
This time it was an exception. They were it was unexpected. They had officers there, but wasn't ready for what was actually happened. But they're ready whenever a, a, a Black Lives Matter protest is there, and, and but it, they it, weren't for this. Uh, that's that's I can't answer for on behalf of the state patrol. This is where we sit right now with this. You know why why the discrepancy? Why was there a difference? Have we seen any reaction from? Lawmakers from yes. the legislature. What have they said? Yes, uh, basically asking the sa- very same questions. This could have been really bad. What happened here? There needs to be better protection, and not just for the governor, but they know they see what's going to happen on Monday when the state legislation uh, legislative session begins, and they have to be there for that one yeah. day. And you and I have both covered legislative sessions. We've gone down there, and it's been easy. You know, granted, we're usually wearing our press badges. Yeah. Walk right up the steps into the door. I mean, you show your badge to the the security guy. You can go to the the floor of the House or the Senate. No yeah. problem. And and like the U.S. Capitol, there are no magnetometers at the Washington State Capitol. You and I, Joe Kupuba, can walk right in. You can go walk into the gallery right above. You can't walk onto the floor. They have guards at the floors of the Senate and the House. But as a person of the public, you, you there's pretty easy access. You can walk right into the governor's office. I mean, not his physical office, but the reception mm-hmm. for the governor, for the secretary of state, uh, for the lieutenant governor. It's all open. So it's very easy access. But because of COVID, which is the excuse that they're, I shouldn't say excuse, but the reason why they're keeping it closed, that's why the, the Capitol building itself will be closed to the, to the public. Unless you have a reason to be there, you're a legislator, you have a job to do there, Joe Q. Public cannot enter on Monday. Are we expecting lawmakers to hold hearings on this? No hearings. I think it's, uh, I think my understanding is procedurally, they're going to call for a vote. They don't, it's, uh, it's. Uh, uh, they have to make the request and all the lawmakers have to vote as majority in person to go virtual to do a different way of voting and the way of hold hearings. But in order to do that first step, they all physically have to be there. Now that we know, uh, as with any session, there will be protests. There always are protests on a variety of topics. People happen to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And from what we're hearing from the normal protest groups, uh, they'll continue to do so, uh, even though they're going to be on a virtual session, uh, most likely if they vote to do that, which they most likely would do on Monday. So on Monday, we anticipate there will be protesters there on Monday. Uh, we're just beginning. I mean, we saw what we saw on uh, Wednesday at, at the U.S. Capitol and here at the, D- or at the uh, Washington State Capitol, Inauguration day, the start of the new legislative session. Who knows? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I asked uh, Sergeant Wright, who speaks on behalf of the Washington State Patrol, if people with guns open carry, which, again, it's legal. You can walk around with an exposed firearm, um, and you have to have a concealed weapons permit to have it not exposed. So those are the two rules. Um, Do they have different tactics if they see people with open carry, do they treat the crowd differently? And he said no. Uh, he said that if they're showing the weapon, but they're using it in aggressive force, they will take action. If they show, if someone's carrying a but bat. But they didn't when they were going after the reporters on, on the, the Capitol grounds Well, it's when, when, when Washington State Patrol sees someone taking aggressive action with a weapon. Um, if a person has a bat... Or in the case of Wednesday, or a lot of people kind of using a flagpole mm-hmm. 
as something that would provoke somebody to do something. If they use that flagpole in a threatening way, that's when they'll take action. So it's about the threat of action that the Washington State Patrol will act on. There was no threat in that earlier rally because it was peaceful. It was like a normal rally. And then they marched to the fence. There was no threat they saw at that time. As soon as they started shaking the fence, that's when the threat occurred. But they weren't prepared for the aftermath of the fence breaking down and all the people going on to the mansion, which, by the way, is criminal trespass. That's Como's Matt Markovich. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. Of course, we'll keep you updated as events warrant with the legislature convening on Monday and the presidential inauguration less than two weeks away. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Como News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogelip. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.